This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And it's great to be back with you live today. Um, As many of our regular listeners know, I have been away for the past three weeks um, at spring training uh, where I work for the New York Yankees. Um, This is now our 79th consecutive program dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was great to be in a different state, in a very different state of Florida, uh, where their approach to the COVID-19 pandemic has been decidedly different than those of us here in Connecticut, uh, where masks are rarely, if ever, seen um, in that state, uh, and there are no mandates um, for masks. Uh, Naturally, their numbers of people infected are consistently higher than ours, uh, whereas ours are between 2 and 4 percent uh, I know in Hillsborough County, it was about 8%, 9%. So, again, here in Connecticut, we're seeing the benefit of sticking to a program and gradually easing back into some state of normalcy. Uh, one of the things that, that also came up quite a bit while I was at spring training was the problem of covid 19 vaccination in sports as many of you know if you're sports fans the new york nets player kyrie irving was not allowed to play in home games because the city of new york mandates a vaccination for people working for the city and being indoors and in this case he had to forfeit his participation in home games and that rule still participate, still existed for baseball and other sports. Uh, it's interesting because there was somewhat of a problem because they did not mandate that of visiting teams. So with that, Mayor Adams uh, decided uh, this week to change his position and allow athletes who are not vaccinated to fully participate. And this is somewhat hypocritical. Let's face it. Um, You know, they fired city workers who didn't get vaccinated, but now we need to let athletes play. You know, athletes do have a responsibility because they're often viewed as leaders. And when you see what your community is doing, you should lead the way. So I'm somewhat dismayed by Mayor Adams' position are now opening things up for all athletes, whether they are vaccinated or not. I think this sends a bad message. What is also a fact is that Canadian law prohibits anybody from crossing the border who's not vaccinated. So uh, many teams will have a hard time because 
some of their star players will not be able to travel to Toronto to play. It'll be interesting to see. While I was at Yankee camp, I was being tested every other day uh, by the system there. So it, it was interesting to watch that and see what goes on in other states, especially as we're starting to ease restrictions. Today's guest is going to be Dr. Asher Qureshi. You know, sleep is an essential component to our health, the same as eating and drinking, right? We need sleep to stay alive and to function and stay healthy. While I was away, apparently politicians decided to get involved and make daylight savings time permanent. Now, for regular listeners to this program, you will know that I have been a strong proponent of getting rid of the system where we change our clocks back and ahead. This provides unnecessary confusion, and we do see an increase in catastrophic events with that change. So while I applaud going to one system, it appears that the politicians once again didn't ask a scientist which system to go with. So we're going to talk with Dr. Qureshi today about going to permanent daylight savings time and really what it, how it impacts each of us. And I think some of the statistics are staggering. I was just reading up on this. Approximately 50% of all people over the age of 65 have some type of sleep disorder. So we're going to ask him more about that. He's a pulmonary specialist and uh, does a sub, has a subspecialty in sleep disorders at Trinity Health of New England. I mentioned briefly the COVID statistics. Um, the positivity here in Connecticut is between 2 and 4%, which is the same as my last program, um, which was in February, right? So in February 26th, we're looking at uh, a positivity of 3.99%. So not much has changed. The only thing that has changed is we have lightened up on the requirements for masks indoors. One of the things we have talked about in the past is monitoring wastewater. By monitoring wastewater, you'll get an idea of who's positive and the positivity rate going up in a region. So we know now, based on wastewater studies, recent wastewater studies, the number of people infected with COVID-19 is going up. It is rising. So why is there this discrepancy? The discrepancy exists because many people, in fact, uh, several people I know, developed symptoms of an upper respiratory infection in the past two weeks, did an antigen test, antigen test was positive, and that was it. They decided to go on restriction. They stayed home for five days and waited till symptoms resolved. Those people don't go into the statistics, that 2 to 4%. But their waste goes into the sewer, and we are able to measure positivity. So in many ways, the wastewater measure is a more accurate assessment of which way we're going in terms of COVID-19 positivity. I, as a matter of fact, continue to wear a mask indoors, uh, and I believe that it's the best way to protect myself um, in those situations. We're talking about getting rid of it on airplanes. I've not been on an airplane in two and a half years, but 
uh, I will most likely be wearing a mask, but I have to, in full honesty, uh, I get on an airplane and clean the seat and the armrest and the tray table as well and been doing that for years. The death rate in the United States has now risen and is at 975,000 deceased Americans as a result of this pandemic. And it's more important for us to remember that this is not gone. But hopefully we have learned enough in order to keep ourselves and our families safe. And we have a vaccine that is safe, efficient, available, and free to everyone. So I continue to encourage uh, patients uh, when I see them, if they are not vaccinated. A matter of fact, uh, when I see patients for a procedure, they are required to get a PCR test for COVID-19. And I can share with you in my small series, more people have started to turn positive. Uh, I had several this week on the screening test. So with that, hopefully we have learned more. We will continue to bring you more information. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to uh, answer some of your questions. We're going to talk about the test to treat plan that has been proposed by President Biden. And we're going to talk about a topic that um, I find very interesting, precision medicine. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Odyssey is your new home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app today to listen to WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Lessie. And while I was away, I got an interesting question from a listener. I had many interesting questions, but... This one in particular uh, concerned um, the lifting of the mask mandate uh, for most indoor settings. And our listener uh, wanted to know if by being fairly isolated over this period of time with COVID, now going into stores and restaurants, would she and those of us who have followed the same plan now be more susceptible to illnesses such as the common cold and sore throats? Uh, and basically, um, my answer is no, that, that should not be the case. Um, and I, too, have followed that. I've worn a mask. Uh, if you have been adequately vaccinated and you have followed the guidelines, um, there should be no reason that you are more susceptible to these common injuries. It's not like your immune system took a vacation. And that's what's important. Now, the people who will have problems are the people who have not been vaccinated and not had COVID. Um, those are the people who are going to be particularly vulnerable. But I, as I mentioned, I'm going to continue using a mask if I'm in a crowded setting um, and uh, if I'm on an airplane and things such as this. So, no, I don't think uh, those of us who have been careful are going to be more susceptible um, in any way. But it does prompt the issue that um, how does this vaccine work in terms of the boosters? We're hearing a lot more about the new booster shot by Moderna and by Pfizer in terms of a fourth shot. 
And people are asking, why do I need a fourth shot? Why do I need a third shot? Why doesn't just one thing take care of it? So I thought it was worth taking a few minutes to explain how the human lymphoid tissue works, right? We have lymph glands. And the lymph system is basically an immune system of memory. So when you get a vaccine or get an infection, your body produces antibodies. We've all become familiar with that term. These antibodies then disable the virus. That's the idea. So by getting a vaccine, it stimulates the production of antibodies. There are also other cells, these T cells. So there's B cells and T cells. The T cells are kind of like the memory cells. So that after you've gotten the vaccine and your antibodies have gone down, these T cells and your lymphoid tissue remembers that infection. So when you get the virus a second time, it immediately starts to produce more antibodies. So the vaccine serves as a primer for this lymphoid tissue. The more times we get the vaccine, the more times it triggers a memory. It's like all of us, right? If you're trying to memorize a poem or a prayer, the more times you say it, the better you remember it, the easier it becomes. That's the same thing with lymphoid tissue. So the more times it is exposed to this, the easier it becomes for it to respond, and it can respond more quickly. And typically, that's five to seven days. So the question becomes one of timing. And who of all of us needs this additional vaccine? We know that many of us needed a third shot, a booster shot. I have no doubt that I and many others over the age of 65 will require a fourth shot. The question is, when is it most efficacious to give that fourth shot? So I wanted to make sure we all kind of understood how this works and what the process is that we're involved in. As time goes on, there's less and less need for a booster shot. It may only be once a year, much like a flu shot, depending on how things change. Because you can see that we're dealing with new variants, right? The BA2 variant now. So we want to have our bodies ready so that we do not see another surge. And that would be devastating. It's devastating now as we're feeling it in our economy. We feel it at the gas pump. Right? Nobody was driving for a year, and there was just excess gasoline. Right? We didn't have drivers. We weren't pumping. They were selling equipment, and now we have to gear up again. The next thing I want to talk about was the test-to-treat plan. This is the plan proposed by President Biden, where patients who are having symptoms can go to a pharmacy get tested for COVID-19 and have the pharmacist prescribe one of the antiviral drugs like Paclovid and um, the other one from Merck as well. So you would go there 
with your symptoms, get tested. If you're positive, you get handed the pills so that you could start treating it. This is key because, as I just mentioned, it takes five to seven days for your immune system to start producing those B cells, those antibodies, to attack the virus. So it's in that period, that five-day period, that you are most vulnerable to become very ill and do damage to your lungs and other systems. So his idea is outstanding. That's been one of the problems with the flu, right, with Tamiflu. You might start having flu-like symptoms. Now you have to get an appointment with your doctor or other provider. Then they have to write a prescription. This takes too much time. So the system proposed is a good one. As is unfortunate is that we have the problem of implementing things. So, for example, CVS, big pharmacy chain, the largest really, and they only have 1,200 stores nationwide where they can implement this test-to-treat plan. Only 25 of these stores are in Connecticut. And interestingly enough, not one of these stores is in Bridgeport, Stamford, Hartford, or New Haven. So take our largest cities here in Connecticut. We don't have one place where you can go. Now, Walgreens, another huge chain, they have 400 of these test-to-treat um, facilities. Zero are in Connecticut. So the problem here is that although the plan has been enacted and pharmacists can prescribe the medication, it's hard to find a place where you can go to get it done. So we need to work on implementation because that's a big part of what we're doing right now. Um, the last thing, um, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a break now, and then we're going to come back with my guest, Dr. Asher Qureshi. Dr. Qureshi is a pulmonary specialist. I urge you to hang in with us and actually get me some questions, if you'd like, at info at alessimd.com. And happy to take your questions on the air or refer them to our specialists who come on the show. But Dr. Qureshi's going to chat with us about the pros and cons of going to permanent daylight saving time. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. This morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Gillespie. It's great to be with you live today. And I just wanted to make a quick mention. At the beginning of the program, uh, somehow they mixed in an advertisement for a supplement, uh, Andro, something or other. That is not one of our partners on the program. So I want everybody to know that the people who you hear ads for on our program have been vetted. Uh, and these are people and organizations um, that uh, very much uh, promote good health and are proven to do so. So um, that has not been one of the organizations that's been vetted to be on this program. Um, so you can trust the hospitals and organizations uh, on the ads you hear on our program. 
Next up, my guest. My guest today is Dr. Asher Qureshi. Dr. Qureshi is a pulmonary specialist with additional specialization in sleep medicine. He is at St. Francis Hospital and is part of Trinity Health of New England, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome him to the program. Hello. Asher, welcome. Hello. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? All right, pretty good. So let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit about sleep disorders and some of uh, the basic statistics of sleep disorders. Sure. Uh, sleep disorders have a lot of burden in the society. Um, by last estimates, anywhere from 50 to 70 million U.S. adults have a sleep disorder. If you try to break them down into different disorders like sleep apnea or snoring and insomnia, uh, about 48% of people report snoring when they sleep at night. Um, if you look at uh, obstructive sleep apnea, anywhere from 9 to 21% of women and between 24 to 31% of men have obstructive sleep apnea. Um, insomnia is a big uh, concern, too. A lot of people um, have difficulty falling asleep. So approximately 35% of the people report that they have less than seven hours of sleep in a typical 24-hour period. Um, with a breakdown, if you go to a higher age, so from 50 to 60, the percentage becomes about 40% of people. Um, so a lot of people uh, uh, report using melatonin uh, because, to, because of the insomnia, which can be used as a therapeutic uh, treatment for it. Other disorders like narcolepsy are not as common. Uh, the incidence of narcolepsy is about 50 people in 100,000 people. The parasomnia, which are things like talking in your sleep or acting out your behaviors in your sleep or nightmare disorders, those form about 3% of the uh, society. And restless leg syndrome, which is a movement disorder, is seen about 5 to 10% of people. Uh, usually it's more common in females and more common in the older um, cohort. All right. Asher, what's the ideal amount of sleep? I've heard a lot of variability. Some people say between seven and nine hours of sleep uh, are what we need. What, what would you say to somebody and say, how much sleep should I be getting each night? Uh, a couple of years ago, the Sleep Society met and they looked at the uh, average amount of sleep required by people to be healthy and stay healthy. And they found that um, seven to nine hours is the usual sleep required for people above 18 and below 65. Above 65 is about seven to eight hours. But in the younger group, age group, so if you look at teenagers, they need eight to 10 hours of sleep. And children like six to, who are in between six to 12 years, they need nine to 12 hours of sleep. So as we grow older, our sleep requirement goes down, but the average which is quoted for adults is between seven to nine years, is so, nine hours. So even over the age of 65, so it doesn't start reverting back to where you need more sleep as you get older, as you become more senior? Yeah, so seven to eight hours is what they are recommending. Okay. You do see a little, little bit more of awakenings as you grow older, which is uh, something we call wake after sleep time but the requirement still remains about seven to eight hours. So we're going to touch on one of my pet peeves, and that is, do you find it fascinating that we keep starting school earlier and earlier for teenagers who need somewhere between eight to ten hours of sleep? Yes, and uh, uh, the Sleep Society and societies in, in Connecticut have been petitioning schools to delay the start time for teenagers because these, these uh their minds are set to go to bed late and wake up late. And with the schedules that we have for our schools, 
as you are going into higher and higher grade, you're required to come in earlier and earlier, which sort of doesn't meet uh, with the requirements of the body. So there's a sort of chronic sleep deprivation that we see in teenagers, especially if they don't manage their time right. Yeah, so I've been trying to do this for 20 years, and I've gotten nowhere. So I'm hoping you and the uh, Sleep Society uh, have better um, better results than I have. On I think this they've issue. had some luck in California where they have delayed the sleep times. They have? Yep. Okay. Maybe we should be following them. Let's talk a little bit about, we hear the term often about a circadian rhythm. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that is? So circadian rhythm is the diurnal rhythm that uh, mammals or men or, or people follow, which is being awake during the daytime and, and being asleep at nighttime. Um, this is a complex um, um, cycle where you have uh, genes coding proteins which make you awake and sleep inside the cells. And you find this clock in every cell of the body. So every body cell has a, has a rhythm. The rhythm which we usually refer to as a circadian rhythm is the wake-sleep-wake cycle. And it's an internal process which is affected by the level of a hormone called melatonin, which is secreted by a pineal gland, and the light, which is one of the most strongest uh, light cues or zeitgebers, as we call in sleep uh, uh, lingo. Um, so when you are awake and you get exposed to light, the light shuts off the circulation of, of, or production of melatonin, Melatonin is a sleep hormone. If you look at the melatonin cycle, it starts to use your body starts to produce melatonin in the evening, and throughout the evening and to nighttime, it starts going up. It peaks around three to four in the morning, and then it starts going down. And, and its uh, lowest is midday or noon. So that's when your alertness is the highest. So I'm glad you touched on this. So when we talk about melatonin, a lot of people take it as a supplement. Does it work as a supplement, or is it something that's only effective when naturally produced? Um, in some people, or um, well, at least in the sleep world, when we use melatonin, it is for specific reasons. So one of the roles for uh, melatonin is in jet lag disorder or circadian disorders. So if somebody's phase is delayed, like let's say they want to go to bed late and wake up late, you can use melatonin to play with that uh, um, time of sleep onset. It's also used in, in jet lag or shift work, where we can try to alter the uh, body's clock. Uh, it's also used in parasomnias, where you have uh, abnormal behaviors in your sleep, which can be affected by melatonin. In terms of insomnia, it is used in mild insomniacs, uh, and the dose is usually below five to is below five, six milligrams to affect the sleep. And it's not taken right before sleep; it should be taken a couple of hours, like two to three hours before your sleep time. So it follows the body's natural rhythm of increasing the melatonin over a set period of time before you go to bed at night. So it does have uh, um, elements of uh, therapeutic involved in it, but what I've seen sometimes in my practice is that people come in with 20, 30 milligrams of uh, melatonin being taken at bedtime and no effect, or it worked initially and then it did not work. Uh, that is too much of a dose, and that just causes side effects. You know, I, I use melatonin in patients who have had concussion and their sleep cycle has been disrupted. But I'm glad you mentioned the idea of taking the melatonin two to three hours before retiring for the evening because um, I don't know if you find the same, but I find many patients 
take it at the time they're getting ready to retire for the evening. And obviously, it doesn't have a benefit uh, for some time after that. Yes, it's not like a hypnotic which will put you right to sleep. It slowly works in the background. The other problem is the phase response curve. If you, if you take the melatonin before the peak, it enhances sleep. If you take it after the peak, it will delay the falling night sleep more. It has to be timed right. Right. So would that mean people would wake up more drowsy if they took it too late? That, that's one other thing. And the next night when they try to sleep, the, the body will be altered, so they'll have a difficult time falling asleep the falling night. So they'll be getting more and more phase delayed. Are there other medications you recommend for insomnia? Um, and and, and I'm, I'm focusing on insomnia because I think that affects uh, many people, especially people over the age of 65. So are, are there other medications that you recommend? So we try to focus more on sleep hygiene, uh, behaviors, and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more important because insomnia is a... Um, a behavior disorder. We usually will start with sleep hygiene first, then go on to the behavioral therapies, and then add a medication. We usually just we don't go for hypnotics right off the bat. There are some instances when we can do that. So in places of acute insomnia where you've had a trauma, let's say you, let's say you lost a loved one or you had a big accident, you can't fall asleep, or you have a you got fired and there's a lot of anxiety. In those cases, we do use short-acting hypnotics in uh, the beginning of the night. Uh, there's different classes that we use. Uh, one of the classes is the antidepressant class, like trazodone or doxepin. There's data on doxepin in, in helping you fall asleep. The other big class that is utilized is uh, non-benzo, non-sedating uh, um, uh, medications. These are things like Ambien or Lunesta. They do have a side effects of parasomnias, which is acting out your behaviors. And the longer-acting medications can make you a little groggy in the morning. The third big class is uh, uh, the orexin uh, uh, antagonist. These are brain. These are things like Belsomera or Davigo. They work on the base of the brain, where you have the orexin neurons. The, the lack of these neurons causes you to uh, to have narcolepsy. It makes you too sleepy. So if you block these receptors you can get the sleep and the side effect from it, on it. Then there are third or fourth line um, classes, which are like antipsychotics, which are used as a last resort things. These are things like Zyprexa or Seroquel, which can be utilized. Um, there's, there's more research being done on histamine uh, um, uh, agonists, which like we all know when we use Salonol PM or Benadryl, we become more groggy. That's because histamine is a wake hormone and something that blocks it can make you sleepy too, but this is more experimental. You know, one of the real enemies I've found to sleep hygiene has been the iPad, um, because people go to bed with their iPad in hand and get the blue light um, from that. Have you found that as well? Yes, that's one of the first things I'll discuss with my patients when they come for insomnia, that uh, what are they doing in their bed once they get in there? And you'll be surprised, like more than 50% will say, oh, I use work with my computer, or I turn on the television and watch it in my bed, and of course, iPad and or iPhone, either one of them. And not many of them utilize the dark mode, which sort of decreases the blue light. Blue light is a is a particular light which affects the secretion of melatonin. So the less of it at night is good. During the daytime, you want to be exposed to it because it'll make you more awake. 
let's move on. Daylight saving time. So now the government has proposed uh, legislation to move us to permanent daylight saving time. Um, what's the implication of that for our listeners, Asher? So, um, there are pros and cons to this, uh, this approach. So as you know, when we, uh, this, this uh, daylight savings kind was initially instituted in near World War I when Germany wanted to save on uh, energy. And uh, they did that by advancing the time so there's more light in the evening hours so you won't have to use the electricity. But now we have moved into a society which is 24-7. So even when, even when you have no light, we, we are using light all the time. It doesn't affect the amount of energy that we utilize. So that's a no-brainer. No the pros for this uh, change is that uh, you'll have more light, so there's less uh, incidence of accidents and crimes in the evenings because there's more light out there. Uh, uh, people... Um, uh, do have opportunity to go out and do exercise and do more stuff and get involved in in active active uh, activities which are helpful. But the cons to it is that the daylight saving time is not conducive to your circadian rhythm. So it, it delays your time. So you're exposed to more darkness in the morning and more light in the evening. And when that happens, uh, your circadian rhythm is misaligned. You, you're going to be in a chronic state of sleep state phase uh, delay. So when we change from standard time to daylight saving time, there's usually an acute effect, which is um, sudden loss of sleep with uh, sleep debt, which, dis which, which, which uh, develops. Then you have circadian misalignment. And these things have effect on the body. So if you look at the body's inflammatory markers, they usually will go up when this happens. Uh, there's a higher incidence of uh, uh, cardiovascular morbidity, so things like heart attacks, atrial fibrillation, and strokes are higher when you switch. There's also increased admissions um, to the hospital or re return visits to the emergency room when, when you are switching. In, in um, terms of social um, uh, stuff, there's more accidents when the switch happens uh, because of more tiredness or sleep debt, uh, poor decisions. The fatal crash crashes go up 6% higher in the first uh, week when the things uh, change. Even in stock markets, if you look at the volatility of the of the stock market, you have a little bit more volatile stock market on the first Monday after the switch happens. This may be due to effect of uh, the sleep deprivation on the frontal lobe, which is what makes us make decisions. So poor judgment may be involved there. Um, the long-term effects of uh, uh, if we go on to a permanent daylight saving time have uh, not been studied very well, but. Um, they, they do point out to, uh, at least in the summer months, there's less uh, accidents in the evenings because there's more light. But on the, on the contrary, if you go in the morning, in, if you keep the same time in the winter months too, in the morning hours when you'll be driving, there'll be more darkness and the, the incidence may be higher at that time too. Uh, there are also cellular derangements that can happen when you uh, have this kind of a sleep death which leads to injury to the cells. So with this chronic uh, um, uh, being exposed to darkness in the morning and, and uh, light in the evening can create a societal jet lag. So you're off, you're off the, the body's clock uh, when you have the permanent uh, uh, sleep time. So essentially, we have opted now for a permanent state of sleep deprivation. Yes. Okay. Uh, actually, the sleep societies are... It favors that we should not have these changes, which, which are detrimental twice a week, twice a year, 
right. for people, but they recommend a standard time, which is what we follow from fall to uh, spring, as opposed to spring to to summer and fall, where we have we are delaying the time. We're not actually gaining the the light; we're just playing with the with the hours, and that can have, have effect on our, on our health. Yeah, so it sounds like politicians thought that they created more daylight by changing the spin of the Earth or, or something of that nature. Right. Um, it's called so, the Sunshine Act, which is, which is not uh, correct. We're not gaining the sunlight. We're just using different times. Actually, we tried this in the oil embargo. Um, sure. If you remember in the 70s, yeah. OPEC had an embargo. We went on to a, 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 a year of uh, delay. Uh, Daylight saving time, which lasted through the winter months, and there was uh, uproar about, especially from the rural areas, uh, the farmers didn't like it, and it was changed the next year back to uh, our current uh, schedule. So it, it almost sounds like nobody listened to the science. I mean, nobody asked. I guess that this is a political move than anything. But I guess I want to be clear because it sounds like even if we go to permanent daylight saving time, that we're better off with that than switching twice a year. Yes, that's what I would say. We should have the same time um, all year round, and some of our states do that. So Hawaii and Arizona don't have the changes like we do in other parts of the United States. Right, and, and thus making things confusing. But nevertheless, at least... Uh, you know, we have some stability in time. And I would recommend probably standard time as opposed to delayed sleep, uh, uh, daylight saving time, because there's more research. Now, has there been direct comparisons between what happens if we have on standard time and delayed time? We don't have any studies to compare those two. That's something which we need to look into. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this develops. Um, Asher, listen, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. I also want our listeners to know if you have questions about sleep and your sleep habits, if you suffer from insomnia, you could reach Dr. Qureshi at 860-714-4055 to really get his expert opinion uh, regarding a potential sleep disorder. Asher, listen, thank you so much for coming on today. I hope to get you back on because we did not spend time on obstructive sleep apnea, which is another topic I think that's important for our listeners. Thanks thank again. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me on your show. All right. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to wrap things up. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. I uh, just got a, a comment uh, in uh, regarding Dr. Qureshi's talk, and that is, um, should we be in touch with our congressional representatives? And the answer is yes, regarding this sleep going to daylight saving time. Now, these are political people, okay? So they listen when we get in touch with them. We have two senators here. Everybody voted for this thinking this is a great thing, right? And I'm sure um, there have been pressure from various resorts, uh, golf courses like more daylight in the evening and things such as that. But I think they totally ignored, as Dr. Qureshi explained, they totally ignored the health implications to their constituents. So this is something to get in touch with your Congress people about, your representatives here in Connecticut, uh, Senators Murphy and Blumenthal need to know this. And the societies, the uh, 
American Medical Association, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine have also taken a position on this. But again, um, these folks tend to listen to the people who vote uh, for them. And I think that that's important overall that we take a stand on this. Um, in closing today, uh, you know, we're, we're moving in on close to a million Americans who have died from COVID. In addition to that, Countless numbers are having long-term effects from being exposed to COVID. There's a lot of collateral damage. A recent article published this week showed uh, an increase in alcohol-related deaths. It went up by 26% in 2020. We can't afford to go through that again. So we must guard ourselves. We must be observant. And we need to protect our families and our children against this virus and other viruses that will be coming. With that, I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Asher Qureshi, for coming on with us today. Many thanks to our studio producer, Anthony Dorenzo, has been on the board. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. If you missed any part of today's program, you can get the Healthy Rounds podcast. Just download it on iTunes, or you can get it at odyssey.com. Next up on WTIC is Law Talk with attorney John Matulis. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.